Oh, technology. Good morning. <laughs> How are you guys today? Awake? Yes. Not there yet, right? Yeah. We'll get there, right? No, they're not awake. <laughs> oh, well, thank you all for being here today. And you know, we can come and gather before the Lord, our Savior, and just uh, worship him. You know, it's such a blessing to be together, to be here as the body of Christ, to come and worship him and open up the word, open up the scripture and know him more today. Well, today we get to step back into the gospel of John. It's uh, been a while, I think, right? I'm trying to, so at least a month with being gone and then having Easter and Palm Sunday and everything. So it's been been a little a little break, but it's it's good to be coming back into it. You know, as we step back into the gospel according to John, we see that John's mission as he's writing his account is to proclaim, preach, and point to Jesus. John shows us time and time again, even in the last four chapters that we've been in, that Jesus is the divine son of God, and that when we believe upon him, we are no longer under wrath but have passed from death to life. And I think that's a lot of John's whole emphasis throughout. Uh, Paul speaks of this to the church in Thessalonians chapter 1. He says this, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for no one has... For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in all in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reputation we, uh, sorry, reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, the church in Thessalonica, if you can say that word this morning, had become an example to believers in both Greece and Achaia, and then Macedonia, which is north of Greece. Their faith in the Lord is reported to all. You know, their reputation goes before them. Because they have turned from, from idols, which have no life. They're, in fact, dead things made by man. To serve the living and true God. And to wait upon the Son who has come and is coming back. Jesus the Messiah, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, Paul points that out in that first letter to the Thessalonians. And John makes that point, that there is salvation in Jesus that there is healing here, that there is the work of the Trinity seen here in his Son. Well, let's start in a word of prayer. Uh, Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have given us breath in our lungs. You have given us a, a beautiful day to come together and, and praise you and to know you more. To come together and, and fellowship and encourage one another and pray for one another. That we would, as we spoke in Sunday school, be 
intentional to step by step following you, Lord, and going about our, our day and, and working and living life, but also being intentional about building community and, and pointing. And, and just as John is intentional in his writing of his gospel to point and to proclaim of the divine Son of God, come to seek and save that which is lost. From the Zacchaeus to anybody. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for today. Uh, be with us in this time in your word and uh, teach us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you want to turn your Bibles, if you already haven't, uh, to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we will uh, read uh, verses 9, sorry, verses 1 through 9, and uh, see what John records here in the first nine verses. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. These lay... In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. As we come back to <coughs> the Gospel of John, we saw that at the end of chapter 4, Jesus was in Galilee, and now he had made his way back to Jerusalem because there was a feast of the Jews. Now in Jerusalem, it says that by the Sheep Gate, there's these pools called Bethsaida in Aramaic. These pools were actually outside of Jerusalem just by a, a little bit. They were north of where the temple is, and if you look on a map, there's the Garden of Gethsemane, and then north of there is these pools and around these pools were five colonnades or pillars that were roofed and by these colonnades lay a multitude of invalids an invalid is a person that is made weak or disabled by illness or injury and these individuals are suffering a multitude were blind lame and paralyzed and in that crowd Jesus comes to one man, one man that had been there for 38 years or been uh, hurt and invalid for 38 years, but he had been at the pool for a long time as well. And Jesus comes up to this man and asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? And the man tells Jesus what has happened to him every time that he does, in fact, try and make it to this pool. But someone else always gets there first. 
Jesus tells him right there, right then and there, get up, take up your bed and walk. And instantaneously the man is healed. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do, which as we'll see is a problem because the text points out it's a Sabbath day. Now, before we get into that, I kind of wanted to go back to the why. Now, why are all of these people right here, kind of right outside of Jerusalem? Well, one is there's a roofed colonnade structure. There's, there's shade. But what's actually left out of the text kind of points to this myth is it's actually from the ESV, and then I checked the NIV, and then New Living Translation, because this verse, I remember reading it, back in the day, uh, if you look, verse 4 is is taken out. Uh, anybody have a translation that's there? Yeah? yeah? And you have an NIV, right? New American. Oh, and it's there in New American. Well, well the one I didn't check. <laughs> Which one did you have, Alicia? It's same. Oh, okay. Okay, so it is in brackets. Okay. But uh, it, So verse 4 states this. Waiting to be for the moving of the water... For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. You know, and, and the New American Standard has it in brackets. The ESV, the New Living Translation, and the NIV put it down and say this has not been found in early manuscripts. So they, they say that... You know, it's, it's most likely added by a scribe to explain what he mentions in verse 7. So, anybody else have it in a translation? Yes. Yeah? Doesn't? Okay. Yeah, Steve? Are you talking about verse 4? Yeah. Uh, I didn't have it written down. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so it depends on uh, the group of scholars that are saying, hey, you know, is this added or not? And so uh, the, the brackets, like we'll get to John 8. John 8, we'll, we'll talk way more intensely about it. <laughs> but it's, it's a, a, a critical, critical reading of Scripture, a textual criticism that says this is, this is a variant in Scripture. So they, they want to let you know that it's most likely a scribe explaining a myth or something that he's heard throughout the historical understanding of the biblical interpretation of the text. So it's just scholars today even. Yeah, New American. I should have checked there. I didn't. But they, so all the, the groups of guys that take their time. But uh, so that's, it's a cool subject. <laughs> but for some reason, uh, for the reason, for the reasons, they place this apart because Holier in part, it's not, it's not in the earlier manuscripts. This very much could be the myth that people believe. There's something in verse 7 that states, that points to the fact that the water is stirred and people are like, go, go for it. And they, they are healed. So it's very much what this man is explaining to Jesus. So the truth is that even with Without that myth that verse 4 explains, it seems that this is a makeshift hospital, right? There's, there's shade, there's water, and in this scene, 
Jesus comes to this man and asks him a question. And if you notice, he never answers. He, he never says yes. He explains what has happened to him. And this made me think about what one pastor had said about this back in the day that I heard uh, a sermon on this subject was, you know, do we, do we want to be healed? You know, do we want to deal with the problems? And, well, you know my text message that I sent out, hey, pray for me, I'm going to go get a, a CT scan and, or a CAT scan. It's, it's not called a CAT scan, it's a CT scan, but we call it a CAT scan. But no cats were there, so, <laughs> but, you know, we don't, we don't want to deal with problems. I even told my mother-in-law, I'm like, I want to write my sermon. I don't want to do this, you know, and, but it's, it's good because even talking about it in Sunday school is that there's that peace and joy of, of even walking through valleys that we don't want to, you know, talking with someone or, or going through different things, um, m making friends in odd places. So that's, that's by the will of the Lord, right? You know, do we... Say what? Oh! It's not me. <laughs> oh, it's a phone. Oh, okay. Um, calling during church. Uh, um, you know, do we want to be healed? Or do, we, or do we find comfort here? You know, do we, do we want out... You know, maybe this man was okay with where he was, you know, the help he got, the handouts. But Jesus told him to get up and take his bed and walk. And he followed the Lord's commands. So he, he definitely wanted to get out of the situation. He struggled to get to the pool, but yet never got near enough to get healed. Someone always got there before him. But when he heard those words, get up, he did just that. No explaining away, just action. Which brings us to the next part of the text. Going on in, in John chapter 5, we see this in verses 10 through 18. <clears throat> so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said, said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more and nothing worse may happen to you. That nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only he was, not only he, excuse me, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. As the, was it important, Bryce? It, was the Lord? No, no sorry. <laughs> it was probably one of those church insurance things, right? No. Oh. Uh, as the text, sorry, as the text pointed out before, it was a Sabbath. So we enter the other group 
as, as John describes them, the Jews, which in the Gospel of John mostly has described and does describe the Jewish leadership, uh, whether it's the Pharisees, the Sadducees, or the religious scribes. And they saw this man, this man who had just been healed walking, and he had taken up his bed. And according to the leaders, this was not to be done that day, not today. It's a Sabbath. That man that was healed told them, well, the one that healed me told me, pick up my bed and, and do this, walk. And they're like, who? Who said that? They want to know right away, for work is not allowed on this day. Go ahead and uh, turn with me in your Bible with, uh, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses 10 and 11 state this. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, this day is not for work. Everyone in the nation, human or animal, was to rest. For the Lord had blessed the Sabbath and made it holy and set it apart for the nation of Israel. For Israel, it was a time of rest, and it was even a time of blessing as they took that rest. As the Gospel of John goes on, we will see that the Jewish leaders and Jesus will again and again debate, conversate, have conflict. There we go, that's the word, about this subject. And we'll see some of that in the upcoming chapters. They wanted to know right away who had healed this man, who had told this man to take up his bed and walk. Because the, to the Jewish leaders, it was breaking the commandment of the Lord. Well, gotquestions.org tells us this. It's a good site when you got, got questions. Right? That's an honest plug. So, <laughs> But they say this. The Gospels record several occasions when Jesus performed a healing on the Sabbath day. In most uh, instances, the healing was followed by a confrontation with religious leaders. It is important to note that Jesus was not violating the law of God when he healed on the Sabbath. He was surely acting against the pharisaical interpretation of the law and against their particular rules. Jesus healed on the Sabbath in order to reveal the hypocrisy of the Pharisees' religion. And so they ask, and they ask this man who, who had healed him. Well, he, he, in fact, didn't know. And Jesus had withdrawn from him and gone into the crowd. So this event is done. The, the man goes on. In fact, he heads down to the temple. And Jesus finds him there and tells him this. It says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. 
And this time, Jesus, the guy doesn't even speak to Jesus. He runs. You know, it kind of, this guy's hard attitude is hard to pin, but it's kind of like once he runs to the religious leaders, I'm like, where, where is this guy going? But he, he, he reports, he tattles. You know, he's like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who has healed him. Well, now the leaders have their man. They knew who was breaking the commandments in their view. And they began persecuting the Lord, John says. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Uh, from uh, some of the most famous questions of who is our neighbor to do, you know, do we pay taxes. All of the questions sometimes come from religious scribes or Pharisees that uh, get some really good answers from, right? And uh, really good questioning the questioners. Uh, we see accusations throughout the Gospels and many uh, debates through them as well as the leaders of Israel and Jesus combat on this issue. And this stems from what Jesus was doing on the Sabbath. But Jesus tells them this truth right here in John. My father is working until now and I am working. See, Jesus right there in a Jewish mind has claimed to be God. He has claimed to be equal with the Almighty and equality with the Almighty is saying I'm the Almighty himself as a Jew because what what do the Jews believe? Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Right? <laughs> that wasn't a joke. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You know, the leadership could not accept that claim. That claim to them was a lie. But, you know, the other facet of this verse is that it shows the beautiful truth. It shows us that the Father and the Son, part of the Trinity, are working on the same task. They're working hand in hand in equal footing, equal authority and judgment. And they are lovingly coming here to restore a broken creation. Well, please turn back in your Bibles with me to John 5. If you're not already back there. And we'll read uh, verses 19 through 24. But John records this. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will show he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father rises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. <clears throat> For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I see Jesus brings this argumentation to the leaders, telling them, this is why I work on the Sabbath. This is why 
I'm doing this. The son cannot do anything on his own accord. The son follows the father's lead. And they are in one accord. They are about the same work. And this shows us that a great love between the Trinity, total transparency, transparency, unity, perfection, wholeness of the Godhead that we worship. That they are together three persons in one nature. It's a beautifully awesome contradiction that our finite minds can't really get, but it, it gives us a glimpse. You know, God the Son tells them greater works are coming that will make humanity marvel. And then he says this, the Father rises the dead. Like a huge hint of what's to come, right? Of what's, what's already been celebrated last week. The resurrection of Jesus proving who he says he is. The Father gives life and so does the Son. Now this truth stands out. God gives life, true life. Apart from him, does true life even exist? Now Augustine would say on this subject, Thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And the shorter Westminster Catechism echoes this in its first question and answer, saying this, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end or man's, man's primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now these statements say it all. We, we cannot have true life apart from God. Enjoyment and rest and all the things that are about life are fleeting apart from him. Purpose has lost us, but yet in him we find our chief end. In him we find rest and eternal life. And Jesus says this, the, the Father will not judge. No, all judgment is in the Son's hands. So here is where honor is due. Here we honor the Son. Now this sounds exactly like Psalm 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles with me today. Psalm 2, verses 6 through 12, state this. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the, end, <coughs> and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with, great, with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, this is the, the way, this is the will of the Lord, his, his king is on Zion and will rule from there. And it is the Son of God, Psalm 2 says. And all things will be his and he will be judge and he will bring wrath. So everyone is to be wise and to be warned, 
to honor the Son and take refuge in Him. And Jesus says this, that whoever honors the Son honors the Father. The Lord says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words, my word and believes in Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And we will... We have seen this throughout the Gospel of John, and it is clearly stated in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, it comes. It comes to, to people hearing, and anyone who hears to believe, to choose to have eternal life. This is why believers are, are told, are encouraged to go, to point, to proclaim, to let it be known that this is the Son of God and He has taken our place and paid for our sin. We believe upon Him and we are redeemed. It is a profound message of grace to all people. We all have a choice. And in choosing Jesus, we step into a new life and we pass from being under judgment to being justified Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the me- entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, as our, as our life is hidden in Christ, we are made a new creation, for we have been reconciled with God. And he gives us this ministry of reconciliation to point to this, to proclaim this, that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself for the one the one without sin, Christ, came to be sin, to stand in the place of sinners so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the appeal to all of humanity to come and be reconciled to God in Christ alone. Well, today we have seen one man healed, telling the leaders of the Jews that until now, the father and son have been working, and the son, matter-of-factly, follows the accord of the father. And he, the son, will be handed all judgment, all authority. And what that means is knowing that healing is in the Lord's hands. And Jesus can heal us, but he also, as he called out this man, he calls us out of sin. It means that we see the Trinity working, sustaining the whole universe. It means that we, all of humanity, 
And what we do with Jesus is the most important thing in this life. By contrast, all other things are shadow and dust. And in the light of who Jesus is, it is what we must choose or not. So how do we apply this to the life today? How do we you know, have our study of God affect our lives? Well, one, I, I, I wrestled with personally this question from Jesus uh, this week is, what do you want to be healed? Do we want to be well? Do we truly even want to deal with the root of the problem? Now, Jesus brings that up to the man at the temple, sin. Jesus calls us out of sin, that we would know that it destroys us, that it keeps us from a relationship with God, and it dooms us to hell. So we need, we need to deal with it. But thanks be to God, there is a person who can truly help us there, and that is Jesus the Messiah, the Messiah of God who, who comes lovingly to restore all of creation, for it is broken, and it needs the maker to restore it. And that is the second thing we can do. We can know this and, and rest in it to find our rest in him. In Christ Jesus, in God, for he is worthy and he is working and he is there and he is offering life, life everlasting. And then lastly, we can see this and we can put it into our lives that life is hard. Life is broken. Things break. There are hurts and pains. There are needs for healing and there are struggles and suffering throughout the world. And yet in the middle of that, we can know that God is in control. That Jesus has all authority and he has overcome. Uh, please turn your Bibles with me uh, one more time to Matthew chapter 28. In verses 18 through 20, and Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is the mission. This is the, the mandate that you know, Jesus has all authority. So we go, we make disciples, we baptize, we teach, and we know that he is with us. Now the church stands upon this truth that we serve a risen Savior that has overcome the world. Jesus says this later in the Gospel of John. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have over, overcome the world. And no matter what hardship, pain, tribulation we have, we can know this, that God has come here. He has stood in the place of sinners. He has died for us and rose three days later. And in this we have hope. Hope that is forever, because we trust in whom is forever. Well, let's end with a word of prayer. Well, Father God, we, we do thank you for today. We 
We thank you for your word and we thank you for your grace. Lord, I just uh, pray that as we go from here today that we would be encouraged and strengthened. Ready us for the week before us, Lord, that we would be about your will and way. That in the, the multitude of things going on, that we would be about listening to you. That as things go on, that we would trust in you, Lord, for you have overcome, you are in control, and you have all authority, Lord. And we just hope in you, and we thank you that you are above all. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.